Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Ward and my guest today is Fabian Schwartz from the La Maggia Winery in Montalcino. Welcome, Fabian. Hi, hello to everyone. Hello, Monty. Yeah, you're, you're one of the privileged guests. That This is your second appearance on the Italian Wine Podcast, if I'm not mistaken. It's a family winery and you're a big boss at the moment. Tell me a little bit about your family, because they're not originally from Montalcino, are they? Yes, exactly, exactly. My father is from uh, South Tyrol, so Alto Adige, and uh, my mother is German. And my family, so my, my especially my father and my grandfather, uh, moved to, to Tuscany in 78, 79, when they bought the, the winery. So at that time, I would say it was, it was possible to buy something in Montalcino also for normal human beings and uh, so so they they get the possibility to to buy this winery and they especially my father which at that time was 28 so it was actually uh, I've got a note here saying that La Maggio was actually created in uh, 1974 founded exactly exactly so Mr. Bartolome who was the the previous uh, owner he he planted he got the idea to plant uh, 15 15 hectares let us say in front of Sant'Antimo and uh, and then uh, but then he died 78 so he the family started uh, wanted to, to to sell it so they so that's why then my father bought the winery in fact they asked my father if he knew someone in uh, Alto Adige who could be interested because also at that time people from Alto Adige, Adige was a little bit richer so they asked in this sense my father and then he saw the property he saw how beautiful this place is and uh, so they they decided yes just um, obviously we got a video link and so nobody watching will have any idea of how how stunningly beautiful your vineyard is when you walk out into your vineyard and you look down the hill towards the hills as well down into the valley what do you see just try and just try and be artistic and, and tell us how fantastic the view is it is it's spectacular so the, the, the nice thing is that uh, uh, first of all you have the big mountain in front of you which is the Monte Amnata, but just before the mountain, you have Sant'Antimo and Castelnuovo dell'Abate, and that is the let us say the if you if you only look on the on the right or, or, or straight on. And but then if you move to the to a little bit on the left side, you also see Castiglion d'Orcia. So you have all the Orcia Valley in front of you, and uh, that's obviously very 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 beautiful place in this sense. And uh, to be artistic. It's every time difficult to make the description because also depending on the season is changing a lot. No, so you have uh, in, in during the spring everything is green, so it's you have one idea, and then at the beginning of the summer it start to be you, you you start to see a lot of fields yellow, which is very common. It's very very beautiful. Yeah, when Fabian says uh, Castelnuovo de Levate, that's one of the small villages within the commune of Montalcino. And uh, Sant'Antimo is a religious abbey, a uh, spectacular building, and it's still inhabited by its uh, religious um, followers. And it's one of the biggest, one of the biggest draws in Tuscany, I think, in terms of the outside of Florence of, uh, of um, for tourism and um, and just just beauty, as you say. 
So did you, you were born into a winemaking family. How did you take to studying wine when you were a young, a young, a young man, knowing that you would take over the winery at some stage? Yeah, let us say that when, when I was 14 and you have to decide what, in which school you want to go, I, I, I didn't know really what I wanted, but uh, for sure I wanted to go away from, uh, uh, to, to go outside from Montalcino. And uh, so I watched a little bit the schools which I could go. And so I saw that this was one winemaking school in Italy, which was the most prestigious winemaking school and in uh, San Michele Ladige in Trento. And so I said, yeah, why not? So I'm going very far away from Montalcino, 400 kilometers. <laughs> and, so, and so I decided to go, to go there. And then on the school, uh, during the school, I meet a few people which bring me to the passion on making wine and all about the, the wine world more than what I had at home. So it was a period which was very, very important for me, especially, let us say, from not within... Between 14 and 16, not so much, but after that, it was very, very important for me. Okay, so Fabio, you, obviously you did your study and you trained, I'm sure, with your father. How did, you, how did you take to it? Obviously, the studying environment is one thing, but running the winery and having lots of responsibility, were you happy with that? Were you a little bit nervous? Were your parents nervous? I don't know. It's uh, yes, I would be. I, I was obviously nervous and in this sense, but after, let us say that after school, my idea was not to work at the same moment uh, at home, but my idea was to to travel around the world, see how it works. And uh, unfortunately, at that time, my father asked me to to come back home because uh, two of the employers left. I had to to stay to stay at the winery. And uh, the problem is when you start to, to work in your own winery, then it's difficult to go away. You know? So uh, in fact, what I did for two, I went to Australia and to, to Argentina to make two, two harvests. And that because of that during the, the winter time, it was not, not I, could, I could not work, let us say like that. And then at the beginning, obviously, it was something where I was a little bit nervous when I when I was making the wine. I would say not in the first years because at that time we still had the winemaking consultant. But then 2000, between 2008 and 2009, me and my father together we decided that we could I could try to do it by myself all the the wine process. And uh, so the first let us say two years were a little bit more more difficult and I was a little bit more nervous. But then. Year after year, I find my my way to work. Fortunately, I had also some old friends from school, which when I have some problems, I can call them. <laughs> How they call me, it's the same. Also, it's uh, it's that's the nice part of uh, of the winemaking. Also, yeah, I mean, everybody needs uh, just a confirmation every so often. Did I do it right? What did you do? What would you have done? Uh, but it's good that you. I mean, communication in Montalcino itself has never. It has not always been fantastic. It has improved, I think. But um, with younger people like you, who are a little bit more open-minded, shall we say, things have definitely changed for the best. Now, obviously, it's a family estate. Why did you, how do you farm? Are you conventional? Are you organic? Are you biodynamic? How do you do it? No, we are, we are organic. We are certified from 2012. And uh, in fact, you know, Monty, that normally when you when you ask for the certification, you have three years of conversion. 
And we asked 2012 when, in fact, my father retired and I took over the winery because he was never interested to have the, the certification because it was too much bureaucracy for him. And uh, so when I asked for the, for the certification, I told them, okay, wait, I can show you that uh, I, it's 10 years that we work in an organic way. So I, I bring them all the invoices. They make the, the, uh, the analysis of the soil and everything. And they saw, yes, it's, it's tr probably true. And so I get the certification from the first year, which is something which is very, very unusual. It's good that you did that as well, that you could, uh, and it's good that your father kept all of the records and could show that. And because it's obviously now become almost, I mean, do you think people are more open-minded about organics these days, either producers or journalists or even members of the public? Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, it's today, it's something which uh, it's very, very important and who is organic who is sustainable in this sense also because to be organic it not means all only to be organic uh, to use all, only the organic product but it means also to be uh, sustainable to the environment find uh, the right balance in your environment so it's um, because of that i think it's it's more and more important and a lot of people it's looking on that and i think a lot of farmers and also uh, wine, uh, wine producer or growers, they see that the most of the time can do it in, in organic way. You know? And uh, you know that I think that, for example, Montalcino could be 100% organic probably, or let us say 95% organic and without, without losing quantity for, and quality and quantity in this sense. So it's sometimes it's also you have you have to know that you want to do it. It's uh, that's also I, we have to. I mean, if we look, to, if we look to Montalcino, when I get the certification, two thousand twelve, we were I think twenty producers which were organic. I think now we are more than eighty, and uh, I think more than fifty percent of the of the vineyards in Montalcino are organic. So that's I think a lot changed in this sense, and I'm happy about that. So. Yeah, of the, five, of the five biggest estates in Montalcino that have a disproportionate size of vineyards, three of those are now certified organic, which, um, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, wasn't really the case. And, and obviously, a lot of smaller producers like you have, uh, have made that step. It's like the domino effect, I think. You know, they see what you do, for example, and they say, oh, these vines are actually healthier than they were before. Da, 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 and I'm gonna. It's maybe not such a bad thing to do. So that's a very positive thing in terms of the vineyard management. How big is your vineyard, and what particular techniques, like cover crops, for example, or what do you do in the vineyard to make it look so nice and make such great grapes? So we we have uh, 15 hectares. It's all Sangiovese. What we do, it's uh, nothing uh, nothing strange in this sense. We use obviously a little bit of copper and a little bit of, of sulfur for the diseases, but for the rest uh, we SO cover cross and uh, we try to give organic substances in a very natural way in this sense. And uh, I think in the last, I can say that in the last 10 years we, we find out a good way in this sense. Obviously, how I told you before, we try to get uh, to get the right. Uh, the right balance in the environment now so for example 10 years ago more in fact more than 10 years ago almost 15 we had the problem with the yellow spider eating the the leaves and uh, a lot of wineries were using pesticides which 
in fact, were not. They, they worked at the moment, but then next year you have even more spiders. So what we decided to do is to find a, a different way. So, in fact, we stopped to work with, uh, with the powder sulfur. And so we get, again, the good insects, which are eating the spiders. And, uh, in fact, after three, four years, we, we, did, we stopped the problem. So I think that's the most, it's the most intelligent way so to, to work in the vineyard. It's not every time easy, but we, we have to try. What about um, inter-row? Do you uh, use, uh, sow cover crops? Do you leave indigenous plants between the rows? over winter for example so what we uh, what we try to do in the in the last years it's to use between the between the vines i don't know how you call that in english trifoglio uh, nano so that's a clover yeah but it's very little so it's uh, it's uh, you don't have to you don't have to cut it and uh, you don't have to work under the under the the row so that's uh, a easy way to to don't use um, chemicals or also if you work mechanically between the, the vines, the problem is that every time that you sometimes you get uh, you lose some uh, some vines, some plants because uh, uh, you are working too hard. So it's uh, if you if we can control the the grass under the under the, the vines with this kind of plants, which it's it, it would be perfect so we, we are trying it's on some parts it's working on some part not but it's keeping out the weeds it's colonizing you you're choosing what you want to colonize the, the interrow you're not gonna have to mow it every five minutes and compact the soil it shields the soil from the heat of the sun and it, when it does rain you get no erosion because the little leaves block the water and then the water can gently go on the ground and not you know really really kill the ground and I imagine that's pretty cost-effective as well. It's it's uh, the, the biggest cost is at the beginning. <laughs> after that, after that, in fact, uh, it's it's even could be could be better. No, it's, uh, because then you don't have to use the tractor. You have you don't have to to do a lot of work. I hope that it will work like that. So it's because, like you were saying before, or the biggest uh, the biggest thing in how you can uh, avoid the. Uh, the, the compact of the of the soil so that's the the, the hardest uh, the hardest work on that so you mentioned uh, mount amiata at the beginning of the interview which is uh, the highest peak in this part of tuscany what and your vineyard sort of slopes down uh, has the mountain right in front of it how important is that to the to conditions in your particular vineyard why does it help so yes, it's the the Montamiata. So the, the, to to ha- it's very important because, uh, in fact, we are at five hundred meters. So between four hundred twenty and five hundred meters to to have this slope to have uh, it's it's very important because you are looking south, and so you have the first of all you have the sun effect because we all our vineyard take the, the the sun from the from the early morning until the late evening. That's obviously important for the maturation, for a good climate, and also to avoid the thing that you, we are quite high. So it, when it's going to be cold, it can be very cold now at 500 meters. So to have the sun, it's very, it's obviously very important. And the other thing is that because we are more on top of the hill, so it's important because uh, the the air it's moving a lot. So you have every time, let us say it's every time moving a little bit. And so you don't, you don't have problems of, 
of uh, mildews and uh, because you don't have so much humidity. So, in fact, that's also very, very important to be on top of the hill or not at the bottom. It's in this sense, it's very important. Okay, I've got a boring technical question about uh, Portinesti rootstocks. You changed the rootstock uh, that was being used, which was 5BB Cobra, and now you're using 110R, yeah? Why did you change? Ah, because that's very technical, because the, the Cobra was the old, what were they were using during the 70s, and uh, it's, uh, it's a rootstock which it's uh, pushing a lot on the, on the plant. Exactly, and uh, the other one instead, it's uh, it's a rootstock which is, let us say, technical better, and uh, it's the good thing is that it's going quite deep. It makes so that the plant, uh, it's the, the maturation, especially especially, it's more at the at the latest part of the of the season. So that's that's why it's uh, it's also important to use the new ones. Obviously, in the 70s, they didn't have so much knowledge about the rootstocks. Today, we, we have more and more knowledge about the rootstocks, so we can decide which one is better for our soil and which, which one not. So, I think Cobra, no, no, nobody is more using Cobra in Montalcino. You, you have a very interesting position because, as you say, you're very high up, you're very solar, you get a lot of weather, but you have a slope, you have air movement. You have the brightness uh, and the warmth as well. And um, so what you're saying is you're trying to let those vines ripen as slowly as possible without um, not ripening at all uh, and getting more freshness into the wine, which makes, I guess, winemaking a little bit more easy. So what, what about the winemaking and the aging of the wine? About the aging, like, like you know, it's uh, after the fermentation where we obviously, we are lucky because especially on the Brunello, we work uh, with the old uh, old vines, so with uh, 40 years, which are still from 74, so more than 40 years. So we can have uh, very high extractions. So we stay on the skins until 45 days some, in some vintages. After that, we move in the, in the oak. We normally stay, let us say, between two and a half and three years in oak. We use 500 liter barrels of, uh, of French oak. Uh, every vintage becomes about one third of new oak. So, obviously, the fact to have every time good acidity because we are high, that's allowed us to to work uh, in an e easy way. The, we don't have, we can be a little bit less protected. So, for example, in let us say uh, in a vintage where the sanity where the sanity is good, which is let us say. A normal vintage. We have uh, we never use sulfites until the end of the the, the malolactic fermentation. So it's uh, it's very easy in this sense to work. Also because you have this this acidity, you have pH which are never more than three point five, and that obviously help a little bit. Yeah, that gives you like a, it's like a safety net, isn't it? It's uh, you know. But it must be nice that when you're you, having that particular terroir, because it really is a very, very distinct terroir in Montalcino, that in some ways, I'm not saying that you can relax, because you can never do that as a wine grower, but you've got that kind of, that kind of build, those building blocks that you know, you know that they're going to be there for you in the winemaking. And that must give you 
at least a few less sleepless nights during the winemaking. You can relax a little bit and have a barbecue during the during the harvest rather than just praying that everything is going to work, right? No, 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 no. That, that, that's true, that's true. It's. Uh, I, I have to say that... Uh, the biggest part it's it's coming uh, it's coming from the vineyard to pay attention to to not make uh, too big mis- mistakes. So that's uh, <laughs> that's like that. But and also in the cellar thing the, the thing that everything is here so that we have uh, all our vineyards are are around the around the cellar. It's uh, it's also very important because from when we pick the grapes until we have it in the cellar, it's never more than. 45 minutes so okay tell us about um the wine is it called a chili chiliego that's a, a brunello tell us about that it's a very small production wine isn't it yeah exactly exactly it's our single vineyard wine in fact uh, it's uh, uh, one part of our of our old uh, vineyard and it's called the chiliego because uh, we have two cherry trees in the middle of our vineyard, and between the two cherry trees, we every time produce our best grapes. Cherry tree in Italian, it's ciliegio. And so we decided, so in the vint- with the vintage 2010, I decided, okay, from that part, I wanted to, to make, to arrive until the bottle, uh, until the bottle separately. Let us try with uh, a few bar- uh, with one barrel. We started with one barrel, and uh, now we, we make two barrels. But in fact, off from that part of the vineyard, we get about 10 to 20 barrels. And uh, at the end, I take the two, three or four, uh, which I prefer. And I, I try to, to, to make the right mix. And then we, we bottle only two barrels. So we have only 1,000, at the moment, 1,100 uh, bottles. Uh, final question about, um, we've gone backwards, but the Rosso di Moltalcino. Do you think, I mean, you, you make a, a, a really delicious one, very juicy and fruity and uh, very hard to put down. Do you think Rosso di Moltalcino is underestimated by people in Montalcino and by, by the market? It's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to answer <laughs> because... Uh, it's very difficult to answer because uh, uh, it's the problem. It's uh, how, in my opinion, it's not undervalued or we could value a little bit better. But at the end, it has to be wine which don't have to be like the like like the Brunello. The problem is that we never speak about the Rosso. We every time speak only about the Brunello. That's a little bit the problem. And uh, the nice thing is that when. Uh, when you have uh, when the market is going good for the Brunello, then it's also going good for the Rosso. When the market is going bad for the Brunello, it's also it's going bad also for the Rosso. It's more it's impossible to sell the Rosso. <laughs> so, <laughs> the thing is that obviously uh, the the consortium also all all we producers we are not spending too much time and money to to promote the Rosso, but we we promote a lot the Brunello. So that's that's the biggest problem. For the Rosso, but in fact, the, the the Rosso it's a little bit the the little brother of the Brunello. So it's uh, the other problem is that a lot of everyone it's doing have his idea of the Rosso. The, the the idea of the Brunello it's very clear now because you have very strange rules also on the Brunello. On the Rosso you can uh, you can do however you want. So there is there there are some wineries which are uh, aging the aging the the Rosso. 
also more than two years, so like a Brunello in, in oak. And then they are wineries which are doing only stainless steel. So it's uh, you have very, very different Rosso's, the, Montachi, the, the Montalcino. In my opinion, by myself, I think that the Rosso should be more wine for every day. It don't have it's don't have to be like you don't have to feel that too long a too long aging period. It have to be a wine for the for every day, and it's maybe a little bit simpler than the than the than the Brunello, obviously. And obviously, it has to be very drinkable. In drinkable, I mean that it's a wine which, when you drink it, you you want another glass, and you don't say, okay, maybe it's better in two or three years. It has to be good at the moment. That have to be the the Rosso di Montalcino. And then I think if if you work if we work on that. If everyone would work on that on that line, it would be not a problem to sell it, and it would be also more important. But the problem of the Rosso it will will every time be that it's the it's the number two. So it's that's the that's the biggest problem. So all right, Fabian, um, really nice to talk to you. A great interviewee, fantastic uh, terroir, very very approachable wines, very clear. Very precise. I really enjoy your wines. And um, thank you, thank you. Keep up the good work. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. And I'll see you in Montalcino. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.